WFAE's David Borax has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. Episode 54, we talk about last week's craziness, the budget workshop, trip to Raleigh, and zoning. Episode 54, welcome to R&D in the QC. Sorry it's been so long. We have been two weeks now since our last episode. Tell them why we didn't do uh, because an episode I, last week. Because I was on my deathbed, and I drugged myself out of my deathbed to come to the meeting last week so that uh, I could vote on a couple of the important things We that appreciate we'll talk about. that, too. I'm anxious to see who all gets no one strep got, throat. No one got strep throat <laughs> or the flu. Um, yeah. He... Uh, just so you all are aware, Larkin said, "All right, well, we should probably just go ahead and like just knock out a quick a quick pod or something." I said, "Absolutely not. Am I going to lock myself in a seventy five square, square foot room here uh, with with whatever kind of sickness you've been?" So I had the flu and strep throat. And oh my god! <laughs> I came. I came. Uh, you see what I got to deal with here? It's I, terrible. Hey, that's the kind of commitment you get. From Larkin Eggleston. That, yes, the kind of commitment that maybe voters uh, well, weren't, weren't, uh, my weren't didn't know they were signing up for. My constituents having a voice at the table last week was more important than whether or not you got strep throat. Um, oh my God! You're welcome. Yeah, District thank you. Voters, That's awesome. Not you. Fantastic. Um, D one. This is what you get. Yeah, man. Enjoy it. So we didn't do an episode last week because I, I pulled myself from uh, the brink of death. I thought that we were going to have a two hour meeting based on looking at the agenda. We somehow had almost a six-hour meeting instead, and then at the end of it, uh, I it was all I could do to get myself home and in bed. So we didn't do one last week. Uh, as everyone knows, some of this is a, is a bit old news, but we'll cover some of what we talked about last week because there was were a, big a couple week. of hot-button topics. Yeah, it was a big week. Um, and there was some, uh, yeah, there was some excitement. But one thing we'll start off with that has been obviously the focus of the last couple of days is we just completed what... I think was arguably a, about as successful as we could have hoped weekend hosting the NBA all-star game and all of the ancillary activities that went along with that. And uh, I, I think we knocked it out of the park. I mean, kudos to city staff, CMP, Charlotte fire, uh, Charlotte DOT cats, all of these organizations that had to make big adjustments to their normal operations. We had to move the transit center. We had to block off an area around the arena um, we had to change the way that we operate our light rail train through Uptown. And so all of these adjustments were planned months in advance, but then were executed uh, with very little problem. And we've had, we had very few arrests. Um, we had obviously some congestion, but that's to be expected with 150,000 or so visitors. And I really thought we, we shine. The only thing we could have done better was to have had a little less rain, but I guess we're in control of that. Only thing that I really want to talk about right now in relation to that is the over the head of Shaquille O'Neal dunk. That's really, that's really the memorable moment. It was of a the shame. The, the guy who won the slam dunk contest undoubtedly deserved to win the slam dunk no contest, doubt. but of the four contestants, he was the only one that didn't have a North Carolina tie. So he was kind of the last person I hoped would win, but yeah, the man brought Shaq out on the court and then jumped over him. 
that's hard. That's hard to beat. Uh, all of our folks uh, watching on the live stream on Facebook, let us know what your if you it, would you have voted for a different dunk uh, champion. I I my my other big question is who's whose beautiful like model plane was that that absolutely John got Collins. annihilated? John I Collins, mean, shout out to uh, to a demon deacon. That was odd. He there was a lot of build there's a up. lot of things. He put in on there. a scarf and he put on like the old aviator. I spent uh, at least leather five helmet. minutes thinking like whose plane was that? And and I mean because that's just they didn't just put it together for the dunk competition. I mean that's somebody's plane. It came I'm from like a museum from around here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they brought it from Kitty Hawk yeah. from the museum. I mean, I, I, that could have been the Wright brothers thing, man. No, I think theirs was a little bigger. If they'd really jumped over the Wright brothers plane, he might have won. Um, his first dunk was underrated. He touched one side of the backboard and then went all the way under the rim to the other side to dunk it. And it, some of those things happen so fast until you see him in slow-mo, you can't appreciate him. But um, shout-out to Kimball Walker. He got to start in his uh, third appearance in the All-Star game, first time starting, uh, made us proud. Miles Bridges did a great job in the dunk contest. We had um, the Curry brothers and Kimba all in the three-point contest, which was won by a UVA grad whose name escapes me now. But um, and speaking of the Currys, I, I think the thing that is most impactful, I mean, it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of fun parties. There was a lot of fun events if you're a basketball fan, a lot of fun people watching and celebrities spotting around town. But the stuff people should really be excited about is the leave behinds. And that's part of the reason that I think we get excited about hosting these big events because you've got things like um, Steph Curry's alley-oop to Giannis. Yeah, well, agreed. That was great. Left but, behind a great but more image important, for all of us. Steph Curry and Seth Curry and, and the whole Curry family um, invested an incredible amount of money in the Carol Hoffner yeah. rec center. And they redid the entire court, put a new scoreboard up. Um, they have left money to be used over the course of the next couple of years for programming in that rec center. Uh, Kevin Garnett and Ann One came into my district in Cordelia Park and redid an entire basketball court in that park so that it's something that will be left behind and be usable for years to come for youth in our community to get out and play sports. So there's a lot of things where investments are made. Um, a big donation was made to the Second Harvest Food Bank. Um, I forget, there was another local charity that was a huge beneficiary from the winning team last night. I mean, millions of dollars are invested in the nonprofits, in a lot of the schools in our area, uh, in a lot of the programs and the activities that took place around the All-Star game are what we should be excited about because those don't end last night at the end of the All-Star game. Those are things that are here for the community to benefit from long term. And, and we should try to leverage those sort of leave behinds and those sort of permanent investments from all the large events that come to our community. And I think the All-Star weekend is about as good an example as Charlotte's ever seen of investment really being made throughout the week uh, while celebrating the NBA, really investing in Charlotte. Love it. Love it. All right, let's get on to some real business and, and just leave it at that was a pretty awesome experience uh, and one I think a lot of folks uh, won't forget. So, uh, all right, so we've got like two weeks to catch up on, a lot in there. Lead us through it. You're the one responsible for writing down list. our list of things to talk about. So two days after our last episode, we had our first of what will presumably be five or six or seven budget workshops before mm. we finalized feels the like a lifetime upcoming ago. city budget. It, it just about was. Um, so what were, what were the upshots from that? What were your big takeaways? I, I, it's been so long. I barely remember. I, the one thing that's sticking with me is in our discussion on the, um, the, uh, property revaluations and, 
and the revenue neutral or not tax rate that will ultimately be be set in this budget process. I think um, what one is just the if you're talking about layman's terms, what's important to the community to understand what you got in the mail as it relates to your your um, your change in value of your property over the last what eight years isn't necessarily indicative of what's going to happen to your tax bill. So anyone who has any kind of concerns that they think that's what's going to happen, I'm not going to say there's like good news. I'm just saying that there's no way to there's know another what your tax step. Bills. There's yeah, no way right. to know what your tax bill. What is the be city yet. and the county does in this budget cycle between now through June is going to dictate what that is. So if everyone adopts what they refer to as a revenue neutral rate, I think the new number that they've estimated and come up with is 39.6 percent. So if that bill you got in the mail went up by 39.6 percent. And all of us adopt a revenue neutral rate. You should be even. You should be even. Your de- your 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 net dollar amount of your tax bill should be the same. Now, if it went above that, which many people went over a hundred, two hundred, three hundred percent, it's going to go up significantly. If it went, if it was below thirty nine point six, your your tax bill will actually net go down. And that's, that's just assuming looking at the residential. Does that that factor, includes both? And factors in the commercial. Factors in both for now. Now that number probably drastically changes if one of the bodies does not adopt a revenue neutral rate of which or I think, as some of the the people who challenge their valuations that could adjust a little as well yeah exactly so right another good point so i guess the point here is you still have an opportunity for your voice to be heard to let everyone know if this is important to you um the both city council and county commission two separate bodies are going to vote on that and if um if if you know you're there's all kinds of scenarios, one of which is the affordability of housing around town that gets impacted by this. Make your voice heard because there are already indications that there there may be some with an appetite to do more than a revenue neutral, a revenue positive, <coughs> revenue positive tax rate. So that's uh, that's something that <coughs> concerns me heavily. But um, the, the one bit of good news is that the early indicators are that only a fraction of the amount of people that challenged their values in 2011 have so far challenged their values in 2019. And so I think that should give people some confidence in the way that Ken Joyner and his team at the Mecklenburg County Assessor's Office went about this process, uh, that it is more accurate, um, that it's less likely that you've got something that's just grossly off of your actual property value. And so uh, that should make for a much smoother process, a much quicker process, one that does not have to be kind of completely started over like it was was uh, needed in 2011. And so, uh, but yeah, to, to your point, people shouldn't freak out if your property value went up 75%. That does not mean your taxes are going up 75%. And I've, your tax bill will go up that much. And I've gotten a lot of emails from people who say, if you keep the same tax rate, there's no consideration of keeping the current tax rate. That's not how this ever works, um, at least not that I'm aware of in, in the history of Charlotte. We will be, and the Mecklenburg County will be lowering the tax rate. It's a matter of how much will we be lowering it. Uh, do we get to that revenue neutral or not? I think that, and I, obviously we can't speak for the county, I think for the city we will get at or near a revenue neutral tax rate. So, um, Man, I hope so. So, so people should not, not to say that there will not be people who have an impact there, but that's why we also were proactive about creating the aging in place program so that low income seniors, uh, will not potentially be in a position where they have to move or sell their home just due to a tax bill increase. Uh, So people can look into that. We've got some public, um, 
public meetings going on in the next couple of weeks where people can learn more about that program if they are eligible. Like Again, low-income seniors who own their home, have been in their home for at least five years, can find some help from the city if they make a little too much to qualify for the program that the county has that's similar uh, but are still below about $60,000 annual income. So what, what else? What came next? On your list there. Uh, so last week's meeting. And so there were a couple of ah, hot topic issues. Go. The one that the meeting that I thought wasn't going to take long, it took forever and got a little chippy on a couple of different topics between a couple of different members of Didn't council. Didn't you say this one should be a real quick one tonight? Well, if I'd have known it was going to be a six hour meeting, I'm not sure that I'd have mustered the energy to come. But um, there were th- important things that we were talking about. And I felt like to miss that meeting and miss those votes, uh, I wasn't it was worth it. several people getting the flu. Agree. Right. None of y'all so, got the flu. Chill out. <laughs> Yet. It's um, a seven-day incubation period, I'm not according sure to my true. wife. She on? Well. All right, anyway, so according to go ahead. Let, let, we, we won't so spend your, too much time, but we do need to talk about four this. Four-year terms. They are dead. Uh, we are no longer talking about or pursuing four-year terms. I think that a majority of council believes, and, and you disagree, but I think a majority of council believes that four-year terms are a best practice for a city our size. Yeah. That being said... A lot of us also realized that a lot of us were not willing to do it without putting it on a ballot for voters to decide. And then subsequently, we a lot of us thought that there was little to no chance that voters would approve it. And so as we began to talk more and more about it, I think it's caught a lot of people off guard when this failed the other night and it, the issue is now dead. I think the more we talked it out and, and thought about it, it was like, well, if it's going to fail, why put it on the ballot and subject ourselves to having to talk about it for another what is it now? February. So we'd be talking about it. I think it would have had to go on the general election ballot, right? In November. So we'd have been talking about it for another nine months. And just that to was watch my whole fail. point. Like, yeah, I'm not going to go back through my debate of why I think it's a terrible idea. Right. But I will say, I was just like, get it out there, vote on it, do whatever you're going to do. If you have the votes, because the last thing I want to do is keep wasting airtime on something nobody cares about. When we I mean, have you a jumped lot on bigger board, fish to fry. much bigger fish to fry. It was interesting. Did you see the article in Long Leaf Politics on this? This that came out in the last day or two. Very. I, I I didn't even realize this, but theoretically, the group. I think it was Forward Charlotte, maybe or. But their poll only confirmed what we already knew from. But the did, fact were you citing their poll though in your comments? Because I remember you said I was citing their poll, but their poll literally exactly replicated the ballot initiative that the county commissioners had put forward like four years earlier. Well, whether so, it's the ballot initiative or Forward Charlotte or whatever that group's called, thank you. Thank you very much. But again, why would anybody, I mean, we internally might say, oh, well, we're, it's city council and that was county commission. How much different does the average voter view one body from the other? I, I don't think they view it enough differently that a vote that failed back then, 66 yeah. to 34, is going to suddenly flip. Exactly. And so... So are you done... Uh, one of the things on uh, on... Uh, 1110 WBT. I'm sure you're listening to that regularly. It's my favorite. The, the question posed there. I particularly like the Pat McCrory show. Exactly. Is um, the, the question posed on the Pat McCrory show is, is this just a tactic to get through this election cycle and your guys on your side of the aisle going to bring it back up like the day after and we're going to keep going? Or have we seen the I last can't believe, of this for I can't a while? believe y'all figured it out. This is a giant conspiracy theory. 
I thought so. And I yeah. could tell, Damn man. It. He really blew I our cover. I heard you a little conference call in there. Well, so I know, while you're listening to WBT, uh, some of the rest of us read the Charlotte Observer. I see one sitting on your desk there, but it doesn't look like it's been read. Mm-hmm. Um, no. They, they ended their article about the four-year terms with, with a quote of mine, which was, if this dies tonight, this was obviously stated before we took the final vote, uh, if this dies tonight, please don't anyone bring it back to life next year. Because I don't think nothing's going to change between now and next year. So you're you're a you're a adamant. We've had the debate. I we've still, had the conversation. We're done for. I still think a it's while. the best practice, but I can't imagine what's going to change between now and one, two, three years from now. So I think at some point, Charlotte needs to have a, a real discussion about should our elected officials be full time? Should that be four year terms? Whatever. I think those conversations have to be had. I don't know when, but it, it's not. It's not popular enough to pass now. It's not going to be popular enough to pass next year. So, um, Great. no WBTV or WBT host. This is not a conspiracy theory. We'll still have bigger fish to According fry next to year. According to you, yeah. I'm not convinced it won't come back up again. But that's fine. It's done now, thankfully. So, what what else happened that night? Was that it? Some people getting angry in the comments right now. Don't don't even watch them. Right um, keep keep your flow. All right. So, also, obviously, we we have to address a lot of this. It started, I guess, mm. to maybe manifest itself before our last episode, but really, um, really emerged as, as a big issue maybe that week thereafter of, of our last episode. So in the last two weeks, and particularly about a week and a half ago, uh, we saw a spike in activity from Immigration and Customs Enforcement, uh, most prominently in my district, Matt Newton's districts, District 1 and 5, uh, along Central Avenue Corridor, East Charlotte. Um, they stated it was a direct response to Sheriff Carmichael withdrawing from 287G, which we've discussed that program at length on this, on R&D and the QC, both with former Sheriff Carmichael, who was in favor of it, and more recently with the newly elected Sheriff Gary McFadden, who made the decision to remove us from it. Um, it, it created, and, and so much of what has been written about the conversation last Monday, I think was disingenuous, and, and, it, and it really bothered me. I don't mind a lot of times if, if people, on certain issues, if people misstate our, our points, but on this, I think it matters. And so a question came up last week. And so a lot of us were, there was a lot of anxiety in the entire community, but particularly in the immigrant community about these raids, people who are documented immigrants living in our community were scared to go out. Um, and so, you know, many of us who represent that district or who are maybe more tapped into the immigrant community made a lot of noise. We put a lot of pressure on city staff on chief Putney uh, at CMPD. And then Braxton and I, along with some others, raised the point, and I think it was very misconstrued the way that it was portrayed in the media later. We raised the point about there was a checkpoint, and, and we'll, I'll reiterate, CMPD is not working with ICE. We all agree on that. Um, well, man, there are that people was in the a community terrible way to bring up, to make that point in the way that that whole thing well, went down. Th- so we had, we had a checkpoint that CMPD was going to execute planned in advance. We had no knowledge of the ICE, we meaning CMPD, had no knowledge of the ICE uh, activities that were going to be going on. It so happened that those two things occurred around the same time, around the same area. And so for people who are inclined to think that CMPD is working with ICE, that that solidified it in their minds. It looks like we are partnering with them if we are doing a checkpoint. And so 
Neither Braxton nor I said CMPD shouldn't be doing checkpoints in areas where immigrants live. Neither of us said CMPD shouldn't be doing checkpoints. In fact, I think I said something to the effect of there is certainly value in checkpoints and I am supportive of us continuing to do them. But in that exact instance, when we know that there's all this increased ICE activity and CMPD has worked really hard to try to build trust in different communities throughout our city, is it more important in that moment to catch folks who might be driving on an expired tag or whatever or drinking and driving, drink- which is the purpose of the DWI checkpoint to get people. Well, these were potentially broader, these were missiles broader than just, flying around to kill innocent people. These off were the road. broader than just DWI. A lot of this was around speeding and other things too. And those are all important issues. But in that moment for me, me only, but I think that there would have been value in saying, you know what? Let's maybe put this off a week because we don't want to paint a picture that we are working with ICE, which will then undermine CMPD's credibility with the entire immigrant community in a way that causes them to not want to interact with our police force, not want to report crimes, not want to even come out of their homes in many instances and and to conflate CMPD with ICE. And so I... I, I pose the question. I understand if people disagree, but the fact that it was reported as Braxton and Larkin were saying CMPD shouldn't do checkpoints or they shouldn't do checkpoints in areas where any immigrants live. None of that was said. And I, I think that created a false narrative that so got may, people more right, fired may, up than may, it should have. Yeah. All right. May, uh, so I'll, I'll let's just put that aside and assume that's not the case. There's a broader issue here, which is one. And I made this in point in my, both of my op-eds is whether you meant to or not, you're using CMPD folks as pawns and props inside this broader conversation that's occurring when they're just out there doing their job. They made it crystal clear in this specific case that these things are scheduled in advance, that they're based on empirical data, that ICE doesn't know when they're doing it, and they don't know when ICE is doing it. I mean, case closed, man. Matlock doesn't need to come in and figure this one out. I it's agree done. with that part. But, but the broader point is this. I, 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 I understand the point you're making. And as a first generation natural born person on the, my father's side of the family who immigrated to this country from Pakistan, I, I'm not heartless to it. I actually understand it a lot better than most. I also think a lot of people don't realize the fact that we're not talking about immigration pro and against and, and the, the, this, the, um, the concerns and the fears that are building up in immigrant communities that are here legally and things of that nature. I think that's a completely different topic. I think the problem we're, we're focused on right now is if we're all so concerned about this environment of, of, um, of concern and folks that are living in fear, right? Why, why didn't we have that same concern when 287G was being voted on by the people essentially in proxy by electing the sheriff who said he was going to come and do that? That is what that at the end of the day, everyone who has these concerns now about the checkpoints being where they are need to realize in the same way that checkpoints aren't the ultimate reason why this is happening. uh, Neither was 287G. That was actually a protection we're now seeing in hindsight where it enabled ICE to, op- to operate inside the jail rather than in the streets. Now, the, the, the debaters who are many out there, will, some will come and say, well, that's just them retaliating. Or the others will come back and say they just have to do their job that the land of the law dictates. My argument is, what does it really matter at the end of the day, they're doing that in the street now, rather than in the jo- in the jail. So that that's where this kind of this whole I think argument really b- rubs me the wrong way. I, I think that's a fair debate. I think to say that me 
not wanting for CMPD's trust that they've built in certain communities to be eroded by a misunderstanding or a misperception that they are working with ICE is not me using CMPD as a pawn. So I take exception to that. But I, I think it's a fair argument. Do you I think mean, them getting grilled in public, like it's basically like they're they're like on trial? I can, I can only answer for the questions that I ask. All right, I'm, all right, in general. And I don't think that I asked anything that should have made anybody at CMPD feel like I was accusing them of not telling the truth or that I was using them as a pawn. I said, CMPD has worked hard to build trust in a lot of these communities where there was not a lot of trust before. I think that can be quickly eroded when there, when we allow a, a false narrative that we are hand-in-hand hand working with ICE, which CMPD is not, to, to be perpetuated. And I think that the circumstances, an unfortunate coincidence, but they, those circumstances, I think, fed that narrative. I can't answer for what other people. All right, so maybe, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, in general, it was the entire tone towards them, and, and it, I, I guess my I, what I what I also don't want to to get interpreted out there is this false narrative that all Republicans just like are not empathetic, have no heart, don't care about it, and w- would rather sweep this problem under the rug than talk about it or think about it. I, the people I associate with are not like that at all. Our point is we we believe that there is a wheelhouse that everything exists and is meant to be dealt in. And when we start coming up and picking and choosing which laws at a municipal level that we like or agree with or disagree with, what's to stop that from being women having the right to vote tomorrow? Or another thing that you bristle up and say, well, that's not it at all. That's not the same. Well, when people start interpreting which laws are right and wrong to be able to follow along, that's an awful slippery slope, which is why we need to be looking at our members of Congress and, and the House and Senate to fix this thing once and for all, not us try to make points, which was the whole point of my op-ed versus, you know, uh, solving problems that are in our wheelhouse. So Ray McKinnon uh, weighed in and he gets and fired up on this. I know I had said, a little debate with him last. He week, asked so. me, how is that a fair debate? And the, what I was referencing as a fair debate is Tark's saying that by withdrawing from 287G, we potentially, at least in the short run, have made things worse on the people that we sought to protect by getting out of 287G. Is that a fair characterization of your point? Yeah. I So I think there is an argument to be made that that might be the case in the short term. I don't agree that we shouldn't have withdrawn from 287G. I don't think we should have ever been in it in the first place. There's plenty of communities that weren't ever in it in the first place that did not have ICE reacting and, and being vengeful towards them for getting out of it. Um, it was just never there and nobody thought anything of it. So we shouldn't have been in it in the first place, but I, well, to raise question, I, I think, yeah, we should have been in it in the first well, place. It, it was a mechanism to use a database and allow ice to do their job in the jail versus on the streets. Like what, until the law of the land, but again, there's so many places that adjusted, aren't part of that program. And, and a lot of people on my side of the aisle have actually hit me pretty hard saying, I hate it when you say that the immigration laws of the country are broken. They're fine. They're perfect. They're just not followed. They're not enforced. <laughs> well, I might, I might argue that if this was day one of them not being enforced, then yeah, it's an enforcement problem. This is many, many years and years and decades that have built up where now the laws, it's not like it's, it, it's impossible to enforce them. I mean, maybe someone could argue it's 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 possible. I might argue it's not pragmatically possible to do that. Now let's we hit. Clearly, we clearly have different Facebook circles because I have never even the people who well that but that's even, my point. Even the people dude. who are anti-immigration, I've never heard say that, that the immigration laws are are well written and and could be effective. But I mean, that's it, that, it is broken. Whether you regardless of which side of the issue you're on, 
I feel like the one thing everybody agrees on is that the system is broken. Well, here in this, I think you just illustrated a really good point, which is despite the fact that there are many more progressives than conservatives in a top 20 size city like Charlotte, there are still many conservatives and they are in different circles to your point. And not having any representation would not have you hearing that that's a point that 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 side of the community even raises. I'm not saying it's a great point. I'm just saying that's a voice. And if we're going to be diverse in all angles, including diverse of thought, we need to make sure that all the different angles of our community have their voices heard or pushed back on when it's not fair. And when it is fair, kind of we can influence it. And that's the danger, Charlotte is running towards in being an, an all single party represented um, municipality and, and county. And then let's hit on Ray's final point. This is what happens. When we, so we push back on you once, we'll let him push back on me. This is what happens when folks like Tark pretend that CMPD is perfect and shouldn't ever be questioned. They should because they're not. Totally agree. No police department in this entire country is perfect. I, I guess where I kind of fall out is, when folks come over the top and start saying blanket statements or assume that they're starting from a place of guilt and need to be proven innocent, I kind of default to try to take to, to defend. I, in my heart and in my execution, work to, to balance um, support with accountability. And I've worked hard on many initiatives on both fronts of that. It's just there's not a whole ton of people out there that seem to always, you know, take the defense of them. And, and I feel kind of after this last year obligated to do that sometimes, but I don't believe that they are perfect. There's no chance in the minute we stop uh, holding them accountable when we see things that are bad that happen is the minute that um, maybe something that Ray's saying there has, has some merit, but it doesn't today because I think 95% of them are doing an incredibly hard task for an incredibly low amount of money every single day. And they're much better class of average human being like me out there who's selfish and not willing to do that. And I think if we approach it at that level and then always stay on the hunt for the 5% or less, I'm probably being way over the top of 5% who are abusing their power. And, and, I'm, and there are others that are doing things where maybe implicit bias plays in. That's training. That's understanding. I'm talking about the people that are really out there with knowledge in mind abusing that power. I, I want them buried underneath the deepest jail cell that we can find. And I will tell you, most of our police officers feel that same way. So before we move on to the final thing from last week's meeting, uh, I will say, thankfully, in the last week, we have not heard as uh, – really many reports of any more of that activity going on. But that doesn't mean that, that everybody's just sitting back on their heels and saying, well, we'll wait until there's a spike again for us to um, try to be proactive in engaging the immigrant community. Uh, so a couple of things. One, there's a workshop in the works where we'll be engaging with the immigrant community in terms of how they can engage with the city for contract opportunities for um, – for more along the business lines, but then also the mayor has created an ad hoc committee that I'll be chairing. And I'm meeting tomorrow with Frederico Rios from the city who is essentially the city's top line liaison to the immigrant community. Uh, he and I are meeting to basically flesh out the objective of this committee that the, the mayor created last week. That is the primary purpose of which is to rebuild trust and continue to build partnerships and relationships in the immigrant community uh, so that there is a, a better dialogue and there is more trust and, and we can engage and have 
um, a healthier relationship where there's not that doubt. There's not that sense that, um, the city or the, the police department or whoever is trying to work against folks in our community, but, but is genuinely trying to help. So, um, who's on that committee. So uh, I'll be chairing that and we'll be joined by uh, council members, Newton, Ashmera and Mitchell. See, you know, I really, uh, I really wish I'd have been appointed to that. And you might say, ha, yeah, after your comments, uh, my point is, don't you want it to be, I'm not even going to call it bipartisan because it's just at this level, it, it shouldn't be party lines. It's about two perspectives. Shouldn't one of the other perspectives have been added into that? If we, if you, I mean, or is it just like, you know, forget it. We just kind of make points and get steamrolled anyway. I mean, no, I mean, it's, it's the mayor's prerogative to create committees and build them out as, as she sees fit. That's one of the, it's one of the benefits of being the mayor. Uh, I was appreciative of her allowing me to lead that. Um, she, when she reached out and asked, I enthusiastically said, yes, I want to be involved in finding solutions for these issues. Um, Matt obviously made sense because his district, uh, along with mine, is the most acutely impacted. Uh, Dimple makes sense. She represents, uh, she had previously represented some of that uh, East Charlotte corridor that is very immigrant heavy. She also, being a, a foreign born person, makes a lot of sense. She is, um, she is an immigrant herself. So I think there was some logic there. I was not involved in building out the committee. Um, so it made sense I, to not have me on there? Well, again, it wasn't, I wasn't asked. I was asked to chair it. I said yes. And then uh, I, I will operate however it is constructed. We will do the best. All right. We well, can I'll, I'll just valuable. I'll just leave. I'll just leave this topic, and you can have the final word. But my final word on it is: I really hope that we learn from the lessons of the past that got a lot of us elected, with our platforms being local, stay local. Um, you know, not be combative. Uh, combative. Dang it! Don't <laughs> stop. All right. Diction, diction, very important. Not being, not taking a combative approach to the general assembly or to Congress. Um, my hope is that, um, we, we understand that while many may not like those dynamics and many do there, you know, there are unintended consequences that can impact us in ways that most would probably agree are not for the greater good. Well, then you'll be happy to know that the rest of our list is local issues. So Let's the, do it. The one other thing that we uh, that got a little chippy last week was the Cross Charlotte Trail, which <laughs> oh god, I actually we're off to a terrible start this year. I by thought the way. we'd kind of put uh, that to bed a little bit, but then we apparently going to rehash it every time an individual vote comes up towards that end. And so one of the three pieces that is funded and engineered and planned and we collectively uh, by a slim margin admittedly but collectively decided to move forward with one of those three came up the least expensive of the three we were set to vote on it and there was another big argument ultimately it passed and i think there is that slim majority of the council who will continue to make sure that we continue to move forward with this project i can appreciate people saying i don't like that we don't have a plan to build this all out with money that we already have budgeted that I think gives all of us heartburn, but to me, it is not a better solution to say in lieu of a full funded plan that builds the whole 26 miles out the way that we had hoped, we're going to do nothing. I think that if we've got the opportunity to build three sections that connect other big sections that are already existing and have an 18 mile continuous trail, while we also 
simultaneous to that are coming up with a plan for the, the rest of the Northeast corridor. Why not keep making progress? Why not keep connecting pieces that are already on the ground in the meantime? So to me, it, Two years from now, we could have 18 miles of continuous trail, or two years from now, we could still have a bunch of disconnected pieces of trail. So I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I, I'm 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 not going to lie, got a little skittish when that vote went down last week for, to your point, the smallest spend of all three in that area because the next thing that'll come up, and I don't even know when, hopefully soon, because it goes back to shovel readiness is a big part of doing this and not repeating the mistakes of, of the past that, that put us in this spot is going to be the one in my district, the Brandywine to Tyvola connector. And the 7th Street to 10th Street one in my district. Right. So what's going to happen with those two? Because I think are we on the same, the same page? I think that, it'll fall along the same lines. I mean, what I, what I understood. If the, that dollar amount hadn't been as low as it had been for that, I think that thing could have been in I real I think it's jeopardy. the same people. I think the vote's going to fall out the same way every single time. What was the vote was, count on that? Do you remember? Uh, it was a one or two vote margin up. But I think it'll fall out the same way because I don't think it was about the money. I think there were people were just making a principled argument. And I don't – there is validity in the argument they were making. I just don't think that – again, looking two years out, would I rather have connected pieces in an 18-mile trail or a bunch of disconnected pieces, none of which are more than like six miles? I, I think we have to keep making progress while we keep looking for solutions for the entirety of it. And we'll, – the pieces that we now have the funding for and now have the plans for, if we put those off two years, four years, six years, while we try to figure out the rest of it, they're just going to become more expensive. And then it's even that much harder totally. to complete the whole trail. Totally agree. So I don't, I just don't see, There's the, only, I don't see yeah. the wisdom in pressing stop on the whole project because we, we don't have a solution for the whole project. I think you make as much progress as you can with what you've got in front of you right then. And you keep looking for solutions in the meantime. Um, so I think you and I need to be proactive on these two in working with staff. Not that we haven't already been, but even more so is a lesson learned from last week. And then make sure we communicate with our colleagues often and regularly to make sure that we don't have ourselves a, a, a voting day surprise because I know, uh, <coughs> gosh, you guys see, this is the called the, I don't, is it so that you're done with the flu, but now it, it's just strep throat, right? No, that's just a, a lingering cough. That's fantastic. Well, that's great. Well, it's cool. This, I'm sure the ventilation here is good. All right, good. So what else, man? All right. So that was most of last week's meeting. Um, tonight we had a rezoning meeting. Pretty short, pretty uneventful. We had, um, you had one in your district, a Chick-fil-A. Mm, Chick-fil-A. And so anybody who, and this is actually right kind of at the uh, at the border between your district and mine, anyone who spends any time near Park Road Shopping Center is quite aware of this Chick-fil-A and how the line can queue out into Woodlawn. Uh, hopefully we have rectified that now. Problem solved. No more indoor dining. That's it. Does anyone eat in that one anyway? Or is that the whole point? Like no one, everyone drives through. So there was no need I, we for have a dining some, room. We have some friends that like, uh, I think there's like a playground in there or something. Not anymore. Not anymore. Nothing but drive Straight drive through. Now it's like a checkers. Yeah. Do you have checkers in Virginia when you're growing up? I think so. I checkers. Think so. That was for the drive through or, for the, or cookout. That was for the rich people. Cookout? We, <laughs> checkers I, might've been walk up and cookouts drive through. I didn't get to go to the rich people places. Yeah, those aren't rich people places. <laughs> Salt of the earth burgers. All right. So there was that. Um, as far as decisions go, we had a decision in the Belmont community uh, that was approved tonight for some townhouses on a on a corner lot, one of which will be affordable for purchase. And 
you know, it goes back. We've had this discussion a lot of times on a lot of different petitions, but I would rather see a diversity of size, a diversity of price point. These will be around $300,000 plus or minus. That's not cheap, but the alternative is that you take a lot like that and you build a $700,000 giant house on it. And I just don't think that's a better option. I, I don't think that does anything more to preserve the single family character of these neighborhoods. These are craftsman style homes, most of which at the time, the original homes, were 1,000 to 1,500 square feet. Building a 3,500-square-foot single-family home, to me, is no more preserving the character of those neighborhoods than building five townhomes. And I'd rather have price points where when someone sells their lot or, you know, as a lot of this push, this, this kind of natural gentrification push is happening, if someone sells their lot, there ought to be a way for them to buy back into the neighborhood. And that's not going to happen at $700,000 for a 3,500-square-foot home. It might happen for $300,000 for a townhome. And so I think we've got to have, particularly in these first and second ring neighborhoods outside of Uptown, we've got to have a diversity of square footages that allow for a diversity of price points so that different people at different incomes can live in these neighborhoods. And another rezoning we had tonight that was just a hearing was the old Little Italy uh, site very near where I live in Plaza Midwood, right across from Veterans Park on Central Avenue. And there was pushback from the neighbors saying, we don't want what uh, it sounded like we're going to be about 500 square foot apartments. I said, actually, I kind of do, because I think that Plaza Midwood is losing that diversity of price points. A lot of neighborhoods are losing that diversity of price points and different sizes allow for different prices. And you can have different types of people living there. See, here's my problem with all that. And I'm not a lawyer. Okay. But we're not allowed to contemplate price points in land use decisions and it was at least a almost a half dozen times came up tonight and i'm just like i i think we need to really tighten up as it relates to that because these are land use decisions we're legally like not allowed to contemplate that in this now i understand the point you're making I mean, that's one more of. I wasn't the, dictating the what the price not, points not were. Not dictating, but even even contemplating it, we're not allowed to contemplate it. I can't contemplate the ramifications of having a diverse set of sizes of housing. You can contemplate it if they tell you, but if you decide but they to did vote, tell it, I didn't. I didn't but ask. if you were to decide to vote against it, it cannot be because of that reason. Understood. But I, I think. I think we contemplate the value or lack thereof in having multifamily versus single family versus the you know, the density that we want. I think I think what I'm talking about is no different than those types of things as far as having a mix of a mix of t- building type or a mix of housing types, and that's in size, that's in scale. Um, I, I think that that is how we build mixed income neighborhoods, and I think that. Should that is the goal for upward mobility. That's the goal for diversified neighborhood schools. I mean, you have to have mixed income neighborhoods and you'll never have a mixed income neighborhood if every house is a 3,500 square foot mansion. Um, so I, I, I don't think that there's a right answer there. I don't think that my opinion on it is the correct one. It is just mine. And there are a lot of people who agree and a lot of people who disagree. So I, I don't know. There's going to continue to be a rub there where people in certain communities say, this isn't what we want. Some people want one thing and some people want another. And I, But to me, in the, in the case of the Belmont tonight, and ultimately the case of the Little Italy one on Central Avenue, if we're looking much further down the road, um, you're talking about transit corridors. We have to have density near transit. We need to have a diversity of sizes so that we have a diversity of price points in these neighborhoods that are near transit, that are near jobs, that are near opportunity, and, and opportunity for upward mobility. So, I, you know, for me, it, it, that wins out. 
Um, I can appreciate the qualms that people have about that density, um, that have a, about smaller units in the sense that that might be a more transient population that lives in, in apartments like that. But the fact of the matter is there are just times in your life where you need an apartment. You need something that's, that's smaller. You don't need a thousand square feet if you're living by yourself. Um, all these millennials that are moving into Charlotte with the fastest growing millennial city in the country, people in their early twenties. Now they don't want a 1500 square foot apartment necessarily. 500 feet might be all they need because now they want to be, they're going to be at the brewery. They're going to be out on the patio. They're going to use things in the public realm as their, as their patio or their living room. I mean, you don't need, but so much room in the kitchen to hold toast and avocados. You just don't. And Mike, thanks. Checkers and rallies had double drive throughs You could also walk up. Good old Good checkers. you know. Spent a lot of time at Checkers in Winston-Salem. What else happened? What about M. Newt Shyamalan? He threw one out there today. <laughs> the nub. <laughs> he, he never ceases to deliver. Um, yeah, we had a, uh, a very slim margin vote. We only had nine people there tonight, and we had a six to three vote in Matt Newton's district for a gas station and car wash. Um, I really am un- uncomfortable with my, with how I voted, <laughs> but I, I did my best just so everyone knows we, right before we're going into there, I, I didn't realize there was anything controversial going on. And then, uh, Matt, my, my dear buddy, Matt Newton from the fifth district told me that I was going to be the sixth swing vote, whether I decided to do this or not No pressure to support it. And I mean, I was like, well, I mean, I, because I had, I remember the case from uh, kind of from the hearing. So I immediately, this was like right before we walked in. So I popped open the book and kind of like crammed, went, crammed again crammed real quick. And I mean, I, I just, it, it, it was really awkward point. And, and I agreed with all the people who, who voted no. I agreed with all the same things and particularly didn't like. And for anyone who's watching from the um, zoning uh, commission, zoning commission? Committee. Committee. Planning Commission. Uh, Planning Commission, zoning committee. zoning committee. Let me apologize to you. We value your work. We really do. And I think we do need to sit down and have a conversation with you guys on how you can be more effective in relaying the things that we're going to decide. Because when we sit down and staff says no, and you guys say no unanimously, and then we've got a district rep who's got a different perspective, who's whipping votes all day. I mean, it's just an awkward position to be in. At the end of the day, I think the age of the area plan um, paired with uh, I like to default towards the side of the free market when it's like we don't have all of our ducks in a row, maybe from a a small area plan perspective. Um, And the district rep theoretically is on the ground floor understanding what the neighborhoods and communities really want. I kind of, you know, will default to the to the district rep and the free market in those cases but I definitely didn't feel really comfortable with what I had to do with the amount of time I had. So I just did my best and it was probably a bad idea. These live streams produce some real gold in the comments. I, I have just been accused right of having strong ties with local communists, which is, well, yeah, I don't even know how to, how to respond. Yeah, it's socialist, isn't it? <laughs> uh, no, apparently it's communist. That's oh, what they're saying okay. here. All right. I thought and, it was uh, and, socialist stuff. And uh, Kyle Jenkins, no, you cannot have a Mercedes. Look, don't get bogged down okay. in the comments right now, man. There's a lot going on in there. Kyle, somebody needs to give you a hug. If you need a hug, didn't come I just find say me. don't get bogged in the comments? I'll You're getting you bogged in the comments. All right, what else happened? Uh, we had else? the South End Tower. Uh, the proposed That's crazy. 275 foot up, well, up to 275 foot tower that would be just south of Ashton South End, which is right there at the corner of Camden and Tremont. 
um, literally right on the light rail and right on the rail trail. And it was interesting because what they are asking for would potentially be allowed under the new TOD districts that we are set to adopt in the coming month or two, but we haven't adopted them yet. That is not our current policy, though it will be soon. And so there was some, I thought, good discussion around if we're going to proactively allow for something that we know is coming, but it's, it's not codified yet, shouldn't we also be asking in return for the things we will be asking for then? And those things are open space or, um, you know, environmental or architectural elements or affordable housing or paying a fee in lieu into the housing trust fund. Um, I'm, I'm open-minded to saying, yeah, let's get going with these TOD with this new TOD mindset, but it can't just be one side of that equation. It can't just be, let's go ahead and give them all this height. The, the plan that we are putting forward will say you can have this height, but in return you give these things that are kind of more to the greater good of the community and or amenities to the community. And so I think if, if we're giving them the better part of the deal in advance of us adopting these TOD districts, we need to ask in return for the, the things that we'll be expecting down the road in those types of developments. Sanity check me on this one. Um, and before I say that, Becca makes a good point. I wouldn't say that planning zoning people don't know what the people want. I think that's a mischaracterization of the highly qualified people on there. I totally agree. And if, I, if that was what was inferred, I did not mean that at all. I just meant on one side, you've got planning zoning looking at it, which again, uh, they, that's, that is actually why we put them there to represent the community in that voice. So great point. I, I was making another point, which is the district rep also theoretically is having conversations there. So I didn't want to make anyone think uh, that, that I was trying to say that. This is great having comments while we talk, isn't it? How can I not <laughs> respond to these things? Stop. Oh. Don't. Don't. Seriously. Brian, I, I don't know Andrew Woods personally. I only know him through Facebook. And Kyle, I was not accusing you of calling me a communist. That was uh, Brian calling me a communist. <laughs> Uh, I mean, if they're going to tune in, we should at least acknowledge. All right, all right fine, fair enough. You're right. You're right. All right but so look, this week, so, here's my point, though, oh, on that la the, the last one. Um, sanity check me here. Over the last year, and this is like heresy, if for any uh, rezonings or petitions that are inside any neighborhoods, but I'm starting to like be more of a believer in like a lot of height everywhere. Like the higher, the better. And, and I mean, I know I'm going to get murdered for saying that, but, but at the same time, we're talking about 60, a thousand, 10 million people moving here a day, whatever the number is, it changes frequently and not wanting to repeat the, the, the flaws of other areas, sprawl, all that stuff. Well, how else do you do that? You build up. Well, you'd certainly build up around transit and you certainly build up particularly around light rail. And so I think, and, and Dr. Harlow and I were talking about it in a little sidebar during this discussion tonight at the meeting. I think that 20 years from now, as you're flying over or near downtown Charlotte, you should be able to identify exactly where the blue line is by the height around it. I think that you should, I think that ultimately 20 years from now, the blue line and maybe a, an, certainly an eighth of a mile in either direction off the blue line, but really more of a quarter mile off either direction of the blue line, not bleeding into the middle of Delaware, not bleeding into the middle of Wilmore, but just along the light rail corridor should be an extension of our skyline. And I think that you've already got the Arlington there. There've been several other things that have been approved, but were done so kind of back in the, um, in the great recession and ultimately didn't get built and got built at more of a mid rise level for apartments when that became the new demand. But there has already been precedent. And I think that, that it's, it's defend defensible to say that 
we should have that kind of height along the light rail because you have to, for a transit system, that's why New York's transit system is so successful because there's so much density around it. There's so many people that can walk to those stops. And I think we've got to, for, for transit to be successful in Charlotte, we have got to create density around it. So is that always, you know, is that going to be on bus lines all throughout town that we're going to have these giant towers? No, but where we've got fixed infrastructure like rail, that's not going anywhere. We have got to allow for density and we've got to. And there's only one way to do that. And that's that's us engaging Elon Musk boring company. And we go straight down. We build down into the earth. The heat of the earth is going to keep us warm. It's just, it's a win-win warmth and density. Elon Musk is like the, the, uh, perfect balance of, of brilliant and bat crazy. There's a lot going on there. All I know is I got a lot of ideas and I'd like the government to subsidize them too. Um, continue you were sitting in that session right when we heard elon talk yes, in november that was crazy and like this dude is on another planet almost literally all right can, is there anything else we need to talk about yeah uh it is monday night Ooh. in 36 hours we will be loading up packing up the uh the family truckster mm-hmm. and heading to raleigh do you like that was a pop culture movie reference. way, way to go man i liked it um and we will be headed to Raleigh. So the North Carolina League of Municipalities, which we've referenced uh, on several occasions, hosts multiple events a year where we can engage with other municipal leaders as well as state legislators. And we will be down there. Uh, the two of us will be down meeting with legislators uh, that afternoon leading up to a dinner that evening uh, where Councilmember Driggs is slated to join us. A dinner with again other municipal leaders and our delegation, along with other state level legislators. So it's a big. It's a. It's a big part of what we promised to be more visible in Raleigh, to go and not just when we're asking for something, but also to let them know we're there to see what they need help with. There's a few things we probably want to, you know, bring up and say, hey, what's going on with scooters or what's going on? We we have a list of items that we worked on in committee today that we're going to be keeping an eye on. But this this trip is more about just a general health check and part of the new the new vibe of what we're trying to do. Road trip, Becca says. Please do an extra episode. Good idea. Hey, you Thanks, know what? Becca. We should do a couple of we're extra We're going to be with a lot of, we'll we've a got lot a bunch of, of meetings. Yeah. Uh, that's a great idea, Becca. We will do that. So we'll do that. Um, and it it's more about, and we talked about this a little bit in our intergovernmental committee meeting today, it's about putting in FaceTime and building those relationships before something comes up where you need the relationship. If you only show up and you're only putting in FaceTime when you need something or, you know, crap has hit the fan, it's too late at that point. We've got to build those now and have them there when they need to call us to clarify something or to seek help or whatever the case is or vice versa. And so um, I think we have, we have been pleased with the reception we've gotten with the FaceTime that we have put in. I think we want to make that a more regular occurrence as the co-chairs intergovernmental committee. Mayor Lyles has certainly made that a high priority to rebuild a lot of the trust and and bridges there, um, both in Raleigh and Washington. And I think it has, and will continue to pay dividends. So, um, that is the, that is our objective on the intergovernmental committee. And, uh, Wednesday will be a great opportunity to do that. So if any of our other, I know we have a handful of other municipal electeds, around the state that occasionally tune into the podcast. We hope to see you there if you're listening and, uh, and some of our legislators too. We will look forward to seeing you in the capital in the Oak city on Wednesday. Mm. Do you know it's called the Oak city? I did not. It is. I trust you. Uh, all right, man. I think well, that's it's been a long it, man. Time. 
Are we done? Let's wrap it. All right. What was that? Episode 54? 54 in the books. Maybe we'll do a special uh, one since we missed last week uh, while we're in Raleigh. And um, and then uh, we will uh, we'll see you next time. Over and out. Later. Who it now?